What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Air Wright, your host of uh, Michigan State of Mind. Thank you so much for listening in, first and foremost. Uh, if you guys are keeping track, for those who are, appreciate it. Uh, day 60, man. Day 60 of uh, of being active and getting up and getting out there and, uh, and doing something every day, man. And... Uh, for those who are new or newer, you know, when I say getting up, getting out, I'm not saying do P90X. I'm not saying um, do Orange Theory or a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, all I'm saying is, you know, go outside and get your walks in. Uh, go outside and, you know, jog. Um, uh, you know, do some push-ups, do some sit-ups, do some body squats. Things that don't take all day. You, you don't need to change into some dramatic outfit to uh to get a good workout in all you need is like what like seven by seven feet of open open space and five to seven minutes and just just do something and stay active trust me like i feel i feel so much better um so much easier getting out of bed and uh and that's years after just grind and just you know, my back is a mess and my neck's a mess. And, uh, um, like, like I haven't felt this good in a while. So, so if you don't, if you haven't started, Hey, start, um, start. And, you know, if you don't want to, you know, post that's totally uh, fine, but, um, but yeah, man. And, uh, so yeah, we're day 60 today and I'm super pumped about that. Um, <clears throat> Michigan hoops, what's going on with them? Uh, they've had some, they've had struggles, but uh, getting in a getting a road victory at Nebraska is huge. Without you know Livers and without Simpson, um, recruiting wise, uh, Sharif O'Neal um, transferred from UCLA, and uh, I'm pretty sure he's gonna make. Michigan, uh, one of his, you know, final options in terms of where he would transfer transfer to, um, wouldn't be eligible until twenty, because he didn't do it like at the right time. Like it's this like a mid semester deal, so I'm thinking he's gonna more than likely. I'm, I'm not sure if he's gonna like leave the school. If he was smart, he would probably finish out the spring, and then once he's done with the semester, then he would officially transfer. Um, then he'll be eligible probably 2021, 2022. Um, so look out for that. Um, back for Indiana. I forget his name. Uh, what's that dude's name? Start like I want to say it's Peyton. I, I want to say his name is. I want to say his name is Peyton, Peyton something, Peyton Ramsey. Is that his name? Let me look it up. Cause I'm not too, uh, I'm not too, uh, too confident in that answer, but I want to say his name is Peyton Ramsey. That, that is his name. Okay, cool. Peyton Ramsey, um, transferring from Indiana. And there are a bunch of, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of talk out there that he's he's looking at Michigan State. If you if you look at Michigan State's quarterback room, it's not the what would you call 
Um, it's not the most intimidating right now if you're an incoming quarterback. Um, and last year, play calling-wise, I mean, it wasn't that bad. They just didn't have the guys in order to execute. Um, but it's been pretty chill right now on the recruiting side. Nothing more on Greg Brown, nothing more on Josh Christopher, anything like that. There's been, you know, I've seen pictures like, yeah, he said congrats I was, and all that fun stuff. I've seen it, but um, but no real headway. Um, tough, tough few days. Tough few days, as everyone knows by now that uh, Kobe Bryant died. Um, he was killed in a helicopter crash with... Um, there were like nine people on board and that included his daughter as well too. Um, the first, the first two days, it was really, really bad. Um, couldn't really sleep, couldn't sleep. Uh, I mean, I'm up at four, four thirty in the, in the morning, bawling my eyes out when I got to be up in two hours. But I mean... Like, I'll get on Twitter, and then I'll see a tribute. And the basketball stuff never triggered emotions. Like, you know, seeing his highlights, you know, those will live on forever. You know, you know those highlights will live on forever. And because he closed his – because he closed the chapter on that book, that – that was no longer a triggering of my emotions. Um, I did cry when he got 60. That was back in, what, 2016 in April. Um, I did cry then um, when he made that accomplishment and he was done playing. You know, those were my tears and those were my emotions then. Um, moving forward, he was on the second chapter of his life. And... And it's, uh, hopefully I can get through this. So, it is not going to be long either. Because I know it, I, I could not, that would have been irresponsible for myself to come out same day within hours and start talking about what this meant. Um, because he impacted my life so much. And he impacted my life so much off the court. Like, on the court, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that's a given. But what triggered my emotions so much is when, you know, seeing him with family, seeing, you know, seeing him conquer life. You know, seeing him conquer, I'm, I'm not going to say as, like, the average person because he, you know, he, he would never fit in that mold. But, you know, seeing him conquer um, conquer something else, you know, that he may be unfamiliar with. And what, what, what got me was, you know, him, you know, talking to his daughter at certain times. Um, what got me was, um, him dapping up LeBron, you know, him being a spectator on the sideline and back in, um, you know, you know, giving LeBron love. Um, you know, his, uh, his, his, his impact uh, was felt, you know, so much off the court. And um, I feel for, you know, got emotional when I thought about him. When I think about his daughter, when I think about the family being left behind, um, I get emotional when I think about um, the fans, the fans who, and some people who don't even, who can't even connect on a basketball level, but a life level, you know, some people just needed to see him you know, come out every now and then with something, you know, whether it was an, an accomplishment, whether it was an idea, whether it was a commercial, whether it was him just sitting down talking to someone, 
whether it's from his time or it was someone, you know, that is going to, you know, that is a lot younger and he's giving advice to. And um, I've, I feel really bad for a lot of fans who felt that who whose lives would not be impacted from here on out. Um, with some of the things that he was going to do, um, you know, we're we're, we're not going to get the Hall of Fame speech. And I guarantee you, he was he was going to come at you in such ways that would have just opened up your eyes. Um, his, you know, speaking in multiple dialects and all that. So, all that, I get it, but this is how he impacted me. Okay. This is what his direct impact to me was, and this is why I love this dude, and this is why um, and this is why, you know, I've kind of been molded to who I am today. Um I saw eye to eye with him a lot. My life kind of mirrored his at times, and uh, I can only do this by just using, you know, kind of explaining what I saw with him and how it related to me. One of the biggest things was, if you were really into Kobe, um, you would know how how smart he was and how in-depth of, of a thinker he was, how artistic he was. But I think early on, like when he was like 18, 19, 20, you know, when, when, when he was a lot younger, um, he had, in my opinion, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, in my opinion, he had an identity issue where I don't think he knew who he was. And I think he had a problem expressing who he was. And I think he was trying to be someone who he was not. That was me a lot of times. That was me a lot of times, 100%. You know, he was pretty isolated out over there in, in Europe. He really didn't have boys, you know, growing up like that to, you know, you know, feed from this person, feed from that person, you know, get some, get a little have it from this person or this person. Um, you know, I was an only child and around where I'm from, like people don't really, you know, you know, you know, act like me, uh, you know, talk like me, nothing like that. And, uh, and this was a time where, you know, as artistic as he is, and he was trying to find who he was, you know, you would see him doing the, uh, like, I'm pretty sure you guys have uh, seen it where he's like modeling and he's wearing that like really, really funny outfit. And but he's taking this super seriously. Um, but it, it came off as awkward and he knows that. And he went to the, you know, the rap album phase. You know, he was trying to rap just just, you know, show how artistic he was. And then I think what when he kind of, you know, like sat back and found himself uh, in a time where you had to act a certain way if you played a certain sport or if you were a jock or if you were this or that, you know, he didn't let labels get in front of him. And um and, you know, I, you know, this was a time where, you know, I found myself, you know, I'm, you know, I'm you know, wearing all the baggy clothes. I'm wearing big, big chains, you know, big earrings. And, you know, like, you know, that, 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 like, looking back, I'm like, that really wasn't, that wasn't me at all whatsoever. And then, you know, you would see him dominate on the court and then you would hear him speak and you would see him articulate and he would have this arrogance and this cockiness that still didn't push overboard, but it was totally normal and he could still articulate and sound educated while being himself. Um, that's what I identified with right away. It's like, you can be smart, you can be articulate, you can be all these things and and you could be a top athlete as well, too. Um, 
you know, you don't have to follow crowds. You can, you can still be with this crowd and this crowd and this crowd and this crowd. And you can still be yourself. If they don't respect you um, as yourself, then that's not the crowd who you want to be around anyway. Um, and I had a huge identity problem. My, I had a huge, huge, like I can't even tell you my identity issues growing up through elementary school and middle school and really high school. I really didn't get it until like my senior year in high school where I finally understood what it was. I finally got it. I finally understood, uh, understood who I could be in the future. And I had to really work on it. And I had to really work on it, you know, growing up really bad stutter, um, just didn't just didn't have friends like you guys probably have boys that you've grown up with and known all your life or you know your girls that you've known all your life like like my social life is very very limited a lot of that is because I, I don't I don't trust a lot of people but on top of everything else like uh, like my like my identity is like, like when I say identity issues, is like I tried to blend in by acting a certain way, whether that was who I was or not. Like during lunch, I've 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 said this on previous episodes, whether it was last year or I've written about this. I had I had lunch in middle school. I sat at one table. Like one of those big fold-out tables, you know what I'm talking about? That can like fit like 16 people. It was always me and one other dude. Me is dude named Brian Douts. That's it. It was us two, and he wore his football jersey all the time, and and I, you know, we would just sit there and we would talk and we would eat pizzas and that was like. And when he was sick, I was at the table by myself. And that was me for a very, very long time. And then, you know, I had the whole player phase and had the cornrows in my hair and just like, I'm too good for this. I'm too good for that. And, um, and being able to, you know, latch on to a dude like Kobe, who's able to go through the media and who's able to, you know, go about life super articulate. Like I was always a smart cat. But, but to, but being within yourself, not being afraid, not be not being afraid of judgment, to come out and articulate yourself consistently, consistently, and you know have a fire to conquer your next chapter. Um, that is one hundred percent. Like that is like that is why I completely lost it. Cause without that dude, honestly, I, I don't I don't know where like uh, I would have graduated from college and probably like moved back home and figured something out and chose the easy way and just chilled at home for you know several years. Um, but just but just the way that he made being smart and being articulate cool as an athletic black dude like he made it cool you didn't need to you didn't need to be a stereotypical athlete you didn't need to be a stereotypical black male in order to make it or in order to get approval from people you know you can you can you can be yourself it's cool to be yourself. It's cool to be smart and articulate, along with all the other stuff as well, too. So, I mean, Kobe was a lot of things to me, but I mean that that was that was what got me. That is that is what got me, and that's what I spent two days thinking about. Like, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, I still stutter every now and then. But I wouldn't, like, when I say I stutter, like, I'm talking about, like, I couldn't even, like, kids. So, so kids are cruel. Kids are cruel. 
creatures, okay? Like, I would be at recess, minding my own business, shooting a basketball or doing something, and I would have seven or eight kids come over, and then one guy, you know, like, one kid would be like, hey, Anthony, say something. And all the other kids were like, wait, and like, listen. And, uh, and they would get mad when, like, I speak okay. Like, it was bad. It was so, I would not have conquered that is one. Like, imagine me not conquering that and then me having to go in front of the, the, uh, the media and have to answer, answer all these, you know, questions. All the nervousness and anxiety and all that stuff. Oof. Good Lord. Now I love speaking in public. I love doing it. Um, and a lot of that is just from the confidence that that dude, that that dude gave me for, uh, you know, he gave me a lot. And I don't look, I don't look up to many people because I don't identify with, with many. Um, cause as soon as I see that something's off, I'm like, uh, no, nah, I'm good. Nah, I'm good. When something is just way off, I'm like, nah, I'm straight on that. I'm so straight on that. If you have any questions, if you want to talk about something, uh, whether it's about uh, about the Kobe thing, if you have more more questions about it, it could be about anything, man. Anything with Kobe. When I say anything, I mean anything. So you want to talk about or ask me something about Kobe, uh, I will be up front and I will talk to you about that. Um, whether on public or on the podcast itself. Um so I'm very open about that stuff, but I do appreciate you guys for listening into this part because it was because uh, that's what I was struggling with for about for about two days, and it goes way more in depth than that. But but that's just like the very broad reasoning um, of why just you know being shaped as a man, and uh, for someone as stubborn as me and. As arrogant as I am, I don't, I don't, I, I just don't look up to many people. I just don't. I will not feel like this about anybody, about any, any like public figure. I would not feel like this because I just don't identify. No, I, you know, not Antoine Walker, not Michael Jordan, not LeBron James, because I don't. That's just. You know, just don't have like, on the court. Yes, one hundred percent. What I'm talking about on the court, I'm talking about off the court as a man, emotionally, mentally, the way you can articulate, the way you could, you know, just be yourself. All right, y'all. So you know, it's uh, it's super tough dealing with you know uh, loss, but. Uh, now I'm being joined with Aaron Brightman. Uh, Aaron is the managing editor at SB Nations on the Banks. Uh, Rutgers class of 2000. You can find him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Brightman. Aaron, thanks for joining, man. Thanks for having me back, Anthony. Hey, not a problem. Last time we spoke was what? It was like September, and we were talking about Rutgers football and the funniest thing is that Rutgers Hoops was our most positive talk, and uh, the Hoop Squad is making us look like geniuses right now. <laughs> Not going to lie. Well, first off, thank, thank you to the football team for uh, beating Rutgers, uh, whatever it was, 52 to nothing, because uh, Chris Ash got fired uh, the next day. So uh, thanks, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> you guys got your guy, Shiano. You were you were you were kind of on the gray, right? You were on the gray with that. You know, I I definitely uh, wasn't. You know, I I, I certainly wasn't uh, with the pom poms a hundred percent at first. But uh, as the as the whole kind of process unfolded, it was very obvious that based on the situation, you know, he, he made the most sense 
uh, for Rutgers in terms of just getting uh, get, getting that kind of fresh start and and hit the ground running. Um, the reputation he has with all the New Jersey high schools. Um, yeah, uh, with the more I learned about how prepared and how much he wanted the job, um, you know, he presented a 200-page binder at the interview. He and, and it's it's filled. You know, he, the way he's hired his coaching staff and and he's done a really good job of building. I think a, a pretty balanced staff, both recruiting wise and, and proven developers um you know i i, I the, the more that it kind of unfolded it, it was it was pretty obvious to me that he was the best choice so i think they did a, a great job it was a bit of a soap opera uh getting him there but i think ultimately it's the right decision right so because at at one point correct me if i'm wrong it was reported that the deal fell through the table completely so i'm like wow which direction are they going and then a few weeks or a couple weeks later they're like, oh, he's going to be the next guy. Do you know what happened there? Well, what was actually pretty uh, amazing about the whole ordeal was that, yes, you are correct. Um, you know, talks completely fell apart. And Rutgers even put out a statement saying, you know, they were they were moving on basically without addressing him by name, which was a little odd that right. they put out a statement like that. But long story short, uh, there was such outrage and um, uh, just uh, – fans being so vocal about it and, and it was even a, a fundraiser that started on, on Twitter um, by a guy by the name of John Newman who's a, a, a longtime donor um, and, and he got over 300,000 in pledges in a period of like 48 hours from fans that basically if, if they hire Siano they're, they're committed to donating this money and that just it, it was a groundswell of support from the New Jersey high school coaches speaking out saying Rutgers should hire Siano it was, it was really incredible the week that it kind of all came into place was right around Thanksgiving. So, you know, there's been plenty of jokes, not just about Rutgers football, but about the fan base. And, you know, uh, I, I see it on Twitter all the time, or not anymore, uh, actually, but, you know, there's 13 Rutgers fans or whatever. And I think this kind of uh, galvanized the fan base in a way that we've never seen before. And I, it was a really positive thing. And that's also helped Shiano kind of hit the ground running with support and uh, excitement around the state. And it's uh, certainly... A uh, very different atmosphere and vibe, and, and uh, you know, th there is hope again that uh, things are moving in the right direction. Not just with football now, but a uh, good segue, but just with, with, with the athletic department in general and, and just yeah. how the basketball team has been. 100%, man. So, I have to ask you this. What is your, what is the SB Nation traffic like between <laughs> now and this same time last year? So that's a really good question. I will say, so I, the first year I started covering a basketball team, uh, you know, uh, on the beat basically was uh, Eddie Jordan's last year. And when I used to write game previews back then, you know, I was lucky if I got a few hundred views. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, now, yeah, we're, I'm getting a few thousand for every game preview. And, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the day after a win, you know, we usually have two or three articles out. And, and we're, you know, we're, we're in the top 20 of, of all the sites. And it's pretty remarkable. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I always felt that if Rutgers ever got good, you know, we were in a really good position to, to, to blow up. And, you know, we, we've over the years we've built a good uh, loyal fan base, or excuse me, readership, um, and it's it's really fun to see the excitement of everyone and and how uh, yeah we just keep growing uh, with the success of the team and you know this basketball team. I mean, there there were certainly expectations for the first time in a long time, but. Right. Um, you know, the fact that they've really blown the door off of anyone's, you know, uh, wildest uh, expectations at this point in the season is, uh, it's been a beautiful thing to, to see. 100%, man. Woo. So, Aaron Brightman here, the managing editor at SB Nation on the Banks. So, what is, so like, we've talked before about Steve Peichel and what he's been doing with the culture of the program, not necessarily no, going the more beeline route where it's not about getting highly ranked guys. It's getting the best guy to fit a certain role on the team, getting high character guys, the right guys. Um, like, you no longer have Eugene Amaroye. Like, I'm, you know, I'm looking at games and it's not just Geo. Like, I'm seeing Ron Harper Jr. go the next step. Like, he took the sophomore leap. 
like a madman. You know what? You know, like what? Like what are they doing to make up for Eugene's absence? And and with the perimeter players, um, how are they like helping each other? Like kind of space their space their roles out. Yeah. Uh- I, uh, I I do appreciate how you have uh, a really good kind of bead on, on Paykel, and uh, it's really been fun to watch him build the program. You know, uh, it was all about defense and rebounding from day one, and he's just steadily added talent year over year. And this year, like you just mentioned, Geo, you know, um, I actually wrote this the other day. I looked it up. Um, you know, in the month of January, uh, Gio missed three games with his uh, broken thumb. He came back. He's played five games since. He's come off the bench in every game. His his scoring and assists and steals are about fifty percent of what his production was before the injury. Mm-hmm. And they went six and two in January. So if you would have told me that, you know, in October, I would have said no way. They'll probably go two and six. Right. So that, that just really speaks to the depth. Um, they've had seven different players lead the team in scoring. Uh, in different games, um, you know, they, they just, I, I think it's, it's almost strength in numbers, you know, they don't have a true star yet, but just yeah. on any given night, anyone can step up, um, you know, and, and I think that they, they, they've really bought in on the defensive end. I, I, I saw them in the preseason of practice and, and the first few games and I, I, I'm stunned on how well they've uh, improved on the defensive end and they, they really play great team defense and offensively, you know, they're, they're, they're not a great offensive team, but they're a lot better than they've been in past years. They share the basketball pretty well. They have, uh, you know, more ball handlers now with uh, Jacob yeah. Young and the transfer from Texas, Paul Mulcahy. Uh, they just have more of everything. And, and, you know, Harper has certainly made some positive steps forward. You know, you have a guy like Kayla McConnell who went uh, 12 for 12 from the free throw line against Purdue on uh, Tuesday. Right. You know, he... he, he and like you were saying, I mean, all these guys were, you know, 400th in the recruiting class, 300th in the recruiting class. You know, you had a few guys in the top 200, but right. no one no one on this team except for Montez Mathis was a top 100 recruit. Yeah, man. And those guys are all tough as nails, too. So they're all super tough. Then on top of that, you throw some wins in there. Now you put confidence on their toughness. Now everything else just opens up and explodes. Um I I don't remember his number, but as soon as I describe him, you know exactly who I'm talking about. I was watching uh, Rutgers Iowa play, and some dude was making hell for the point guard. It was like number forty something, but he was making him turn and turn and turn, and he had to work like eighty percent of the court. I don't know who that is. Yeah, it was. It was uh, I think it was Jacob Young. Uh, it was forty-two. Yes. And, uh, yes. So he, uh, you know, he, he, he's he's so quick. Uh, he, he's uh, he, he can get to the rim, you know, from half court. I mean, in three seconds with with the basketball, he can be out of control at times. But he's so athletic. He, he, he had uh, this is kind of a perfect microcosm of his game. He had five turnovers against Purdue, but he had one highlight that made the top ten for Sports Center for the night. <laughs> so he's that kind of guy, but he's not. Uh, he doesn't get enough credit for his defense, and I think all the perimeter guys—they're um, just great on the ball defenders. You know, Montez Mathis, and J- the thing is, you have Montez Mathis who starts. And has really shut down uh, a lot of, of really good players. Um, you know, uh, Sasha, the shooter for Purdue, he, he went 0 for 4 from three-point range. He didn't score a point all night. You take him out of uh, Montez, you give him a blow, you bring in Jacob Young. So there's very little drop-off in the top eight guys. Um, and they, they all play for each other. And, and they really do, you know, they're, they're, as as... Uh, much as you could expect, there's as little bit of ego on this team as as as, as you could um, ever hope for with a basketball team. They really do celebrate each other's successes, and um, you know that that's the beauty of it. Is on any given night, anyone can step up. I do one thing, uh, one key to this team with Omarori leaving, which we all agreed was a huge loss. Right. Uh, C. Pichel added a quasi Yaboa, who's a, a grad transfer from Stony Brook, who we recruited there mm. before he came to Rutgers, and he has filled in, you know, uh, minutes-wise, 
for uh, Omar Rui. He's a different type of player. He's more of an outside-in player, much more perimeter-oriented. But he, he's a better fit for the style of play that this team plays. And I think that right. it's almost been a silver lining in a way. Um, and he's just, he's a gutty guy. He's got a big game experience. He scored uh, 20 points against Michigan State uh, when he was on Stony Brook a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he has that taste of it. And he's just been great on the team as your best three-point shooter. Um, and he's been a big addition. So um, losing to Moriori changed kind of the, the chemistry and the, and the way this team plays. But I think it's actually, um, believe it or not, been for the better. Yes. Yes. Now, being more of like an outside in guy, having a big guy who can really hit the three, you have those super quick guards. Now, there's nobody on the on the block clogging everything up. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you. So, like, the so underrated defense, like, 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 watching that game, you see why it's underrated. Not a lot of people can watch that game and understand what, like, like why Rutgers is so good defensively. They are making teams start their offense from, like, 30, 31 feet out, not 22, 23 feet out. Because of that, you have teams starting their offense further out. It's different angles. It's different timing. It throws things off, and it just has a domino effect. So that on-the-ball defense, like that havoc it causes, like that hurts. And then they're, and then that first entry pass, quote-unquote, is also like 25, 26 feet out, not towing the line like they do in practice. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I think sometimes people think, oh, for full court pressure, you know, is an all out press. Right. Uh, and, and, and that what Rutgers has done more so of is they'll have uh, they'll have an on ball defender on the point guard and he'll go the whole length of the court with them. And that, I think, has really been key in getting, like you just said, having them start. 30 feet from the basket with their offense because mm-hmm. the, the the point guard went the whole length of the floor across midcourt with it with a defender on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really don't let you relax. They don't let you breathe. And they're really good at taking away what other teams do really well. And they've been very successful at making teams uh, work the shot clock and, and have to basically force a contested jumper. Um, you know, they've, they've had lulls here and there, but for the most part, they've been night in and night out very consistent uh, just in terms of their defensive intensity and, and rebounding, too. They have struggled in that area a little bit lately, um, but, uh, but, but yeah, they're definitely going to be – I think it's going to be interesting against Michigan, a team that spaces really well, um, to see how they're able to, to uh, you know, prevent um, penetration and stuff because they're not going to be as, as bogged down in the paint. Um, but I think that uh, it's going to be a really, really uh, interesting and, and, and fun matchup to watch. Oh, for sure, man. So, like, so, like, you, know, you said that you know, there's been uh, there's been some, you know, you know, issues with, uh, you know, with like uh, rebounding, you know, it, really like against like Nebraska, you know, you go to you have a you had you beat a good Indiana team, you beat a scrappy kind of scary Minnesota team you lose at Iowa super close game I mean like super close game and then you kind of escape by Nebraska like those are one of those games where like you don't like you don't want to lose that game because now the committee has an excuse like ooh, we could bump them back and let's see what happens then you know what I mean (laughs) um for years and years and years when Rutgers was just on the cusp and you're like they're, they're right there they would lose the game like they, they yeah. would have against Nebraska and so I mean it was their third game in seven days they had you know they, they were like 48 hours off the Iowa loss I, I kind of expected defensively for them to struggle in that game I thought Nebraska did a really good job I mean Cam Mack is a great point guard I think he's really really good and uh, they had a lot of trouble in the second half with him uh, but just for them to survive that um, was was so important to them, and and also you know uh, about a month ago when they were at Illinois, I mean they had Illinois down with two minutes to go, right. uh, and they lost by three. So uh, their three losses on the road have been at Michigan State, at Illinois, and at Iowa. So um, you three know, tough they, teams, three tough three teams that are at the top of the league. You know, along with exactly. Rutgers, how crazy is that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was about to come 
<laughs> along with <laughs> Rutgers, <laughs> along with I, Rutgers. I, will, I won't admit how how uh, how often during the day I just kind of uh, pull up the ESPN app and look at the Big Ten standings and just kind of stare at it for a little bit because uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's almost it really is unbelievable to, to know that midway through the season they're they're right up there at the top. So Dude, it's been something else. Oh, don't even look. The graphic came up the other day, and uh, my wife doesn't like follow. Like, like she'll follow Michigan State because she's a Michigan State grad and all that stuff. But a graphic came up where Rutgers was, like, second or third, I believe. And um, she's, like, laughing at me for, like, 20 minutes. She's like, Rutgers is, like, eight spots ahead of you guys. You guys suck. I'm like, Rutgers is good this year. She goes, yeah, but it's Rutgers. You can't be my other. I'm like, okay. She just let me have it for, like, the whole day. Like, goodness gracious. I'm like, look, Rutgers is good this year. Like, they, like you guys trashed Seton Hall. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, like last year, we talked about it. We we were like Rutgers and Seton Hall. It was a huge game. Like I watched that game. Rutgers was ahead by like 10, 15 points in the in the uh, uh, first half. Unfortunately, and ended up losing that game. But it was such a great game, and those and both of those teams went at each other's head. And uh, you guys won this year by like twenty, right? Was it by 20? Yeah, it, they, they jumped out to, uh, it was a 14 nothing lead, which was pretty remarkable. I mean, Seton Hall didn't have San, Sandro, their big man, and then, um, you know, Miles Powell, uh, potential national player of the year, uh, ended up taking a charge and uh, hit his head on the floor and uh, left the game at halftime with a concussion. Uh, but, you know, even even uh, a lot of local Seton Hall writers were saying, I mean, the way Rutgers was playing that day, they, they weren't losing that game. And, it wouldn't uh, have mattered. Right. It was just total domination, and uh, that was, I think, when the, the for this team, the, their confidence. You know, they beat Wisconsin three days before. They would come off. Um, they lost at Pitt in a really bad performance, uh, and then they they played Michigan State relatively tough, but lost. Um, they had Wisconsin at home, and they cut that one out, and, and that started things off. And then the Seton Hall game, and then ever since then, they really they've been a different team, confidence wise. Uh, and I think that's what's been more astonishing than anything is seeing, you know. And it's 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 not a not a cockiness, but it's just the, 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 between their toughness and just their their confidence in their own abilities. And as a team, it's it's really been something to see because they 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 don't back down to anyone and. Uh, they, they, they don't seem to ever panic uh, yeah. when they have, uh, you know, the last couple games, the Nebraska game and the Purdue, they were up 17 in the second half, and it got all the way down to three. And again, that in the past, Rutgers would have choked that one away, but they calmly, they you know, they, they went 10 for 12 from the free throw line in the last minute of the game, and uh, won by seven, shooting 33% in the second half. So it was, it was again, they're, they're, they're winning, not playing their best, which is another sign of progress. Yes, that's like... Like, you have to understand, like, the sign of a good team is when you can not play well, but still control the game and win the game. Um, you don't have to shoot well to win the game. Like, that's Michigan's big issue right now. They have to shoot well to win. Like, when they shoot 50% or over, I believe they're 5-1 and one now versus high major teams. Um, if they shoot under 50%, they are, like, 1-7 or something like that. Um and against the high majors. So it's like, are they going to get to this 50% or not? With how good Rutgers is defensively, Michigan is going to lose that game at Madison Square Garden on Saturday. Well, I, 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 don't, want, I don't disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just I, saying, just, just by that, that one number stays with me for every single game. Against Nebraska, guess what they shot? Fifty percent, even exactly, exactly fifty percent because that's that's the number, that is the number. Fifty percent is the number. If they get to fifty percent, Rutgers probably loses. What surprised me about Michigan was I'm you know obviously I'm starting to write the preview. I didn't realize they're, they're shooting terribly from three point range of Big Ten play. I mean they're they're 
that you know numbers for the season aren't terrible, but they're I think they're thirteenth in the big in Big Ten uh, games from three point range, and that, that that was shocking to me when I saw that. Anything from Atlantis and before, don't even count it because it's a totally different team. Um, so, so what is the deal? I mean, is is uh, uh, Livers is out indefinitely at this point, and is Simpson uh, is he still suspended? Uh, Livers is Livers is technically like day to day, however you want to put that. Livers. Uh, and hold on, Livers is day to day. Simpson had the one game suspension, but they were going to revisit it, so it could be a game by game thing. I don't know what happened there. It's like there's like three things that probably happened there. I don't want to speculate because people are going to just run wild on the websites. But there's like three things that probably happened. One of those three, and um, you know, one is pretty bad. The last one's eh, not that bad. So the earlier it comes, so if 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 he comes back early, I just think they bumped heads. And uh, if he comes back a lot later, I think it was like something else. But um, but yeah, you don't have those two guys. And um, really, what it comes down to is the first seven games. Uh, they were num- they were top five in the country from for three point percentage. They were top ten in the country field goal percentage. From that moment on, after Atlantis, where Atlantis first of all, okay, you play Iowa State, they're now they're trash. North Carolina, I mean, good lord, I mean, <laughs> I mean they lo- they lost to Clemson at home. For the first time ever. It's pretty unbelievable. Like, since like 1926 or something. Like, <laughs> like ever, ever. Like, that's the, like, ever, think about ever. This, if we could go back to October, right? If you could place a bet and say North Carolina would be under 500 and Rutgers would be 6 and 16 and 5 and, you know, a game out of first place. I mean, I. What would the odds be on that? We would be very rich right now. Man, I'd be on a beach right now, chilling. <laughs> I'd be on a beach with the wife, just chilling. But yeah, man, yeah, it's uh, you know, the so I've talked about this before. So like, just to give you like, just like speed you up. So early on, I mentioned how. Michigan's offense is very, very basic. You, you you can sit on a lot of concepts. And first thing I said was, look for that to advance and add more layers and more depth as the season progresses. It never did that. You can't do that in the Big Ten. The league no. is coached way too well. You may get away with that in the SEC or Pac-12 and Big 12. You can't do that in this league. When the last two place teams are coached by Chris Collins and Fred Hoiberg, I mean, mean those two dudes know what they're doing. You know what I mean? If those are the two last place teams, you need to bring it every day from a preparation standpoint. So what you saw in Atlantis, you see an Iowa State team led by a future first round point guard. That team is not very good. Beat them. UNC um, destroyed them zero days prep for UNC, so they didn't know what was coming as well. Too, they are they are like near the bottom of the ACC or the bottom. Then you play Gonzaga, who plays seven guys, uh, who's now had back to back games and is coming off of a, an overtime win against Oregon um, with zero days prep, and they had to play like twenty hours later. Um, and then from that point on, uh, it's been, you know, teams have been sitting on us defensively. We've been very one dimensional. Uh, we've been more reactive than proactive. Um, Juwan's been taken to the woodshed pretty much almost every game so far. So Steve Peichel, I know that that dude is a defensive savant. Um, it's going to be a very interesting game just from the basketball fan of me. You know what I mean? Um, just to kind of see what he does. And I really, and I, um, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying that Michigan comes out more and they try to, you know, 
making change to dictate things, whether things are going good or bad. Um, don't wait until you're behind the eight ball to say, oh, we need to make some changes. Come out and do something different. Come out and, and add a wrinkle to something. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, this game, like, we were talking about it in September, how this was terrible. How we have to go to MSG, then go to the rack. <laughs> like, we talked about it then. It's even worse now. Yeah. It's yeah, even we, we worse had a now. couple people that were asking why would you know uh, why would Michigan agree to this, and I I, I, I said you know I don't know for sure, but I, I don't know if they necessarily really agreed to it. I think the Big Ten, you know, they just did have, it. They have the ability to make that call, and I think yeah, uh, yeah to have to come to New, you know New Jersey, New York City, what twice in I think two and a half weeks. Yeah, uh, that's going to take its toll for sure. Yeah, and Michigan does have a huge presence there in in that area. They do. They do, and I, I know a few Michigan alums that will be there. I think they actually will have more fans than Rutgers fans, although I think um, the Rutgers fans will be very vocal, and I think um, there's a lot that will be there. I think it's going to be a really fun environment, and, uh, you know, Rutgers uh, always loves playing in the garden. You know, two years ago with the Big Ten tournament, they had that run uh, when Steve Pico was still kind of getting things going, and that was kind of a, a, a another sign that things were moving in the right direction. So was that Corey I, Sanders' year? when like he was it going was. nuts he made the, yeah he made the whole tournament team he went he went off they uh they, they were losing to indiana 16 points in the first half and i was sitting there and i was like uh you know it's uh, i i don't see him coming back and they just stormed back and they i mean they, they blew indiana out running away i think they won by 11 and oh, then uh, they gave purdue all they could handle the next night in the quarterfinals and lost by i believe five or six Gotcha. Uh, so that that was kind of the the first big uh, sign that hey you know Pico's got something working here and uh, every year it's gotten a little bit better and uh, this year you know I I really did think I, I picked them to go nineteen and twelve in the regular season I really thought they had the potential as a team to kind of gel and and almost skip a step in that development you know of a team and and uh, they haven't had a winning season in fourteen years and here we are ten games to go and you know they they need one more win to guarantee the first winning season in 14 years. So it's pretty remarkable. It definitely is, man. So predictions, I need it. Predictions. Madison Square well, Garden, 430 well, two, Big Ten Network. Two things I think that uh, are working to Rutgers' advantage, just looking at the stats, is that Michigan is not a big offensive rebounding team, and they don't turn teams over. And yeah. I think that plays right into Rutgers' hands. Um, you know, Rutgers wins the hustle points. They, they get those second-chance points. Um, they're, they're really good in transition uh, off of defensive rebounds and uh, and steals. You know, they will they will jump the passing lanes. Um, you know, and, and they're, they're, they've been very unselfish in transition, too. They're learning how not to force it. You know, very, I remember last year I felt like they would, you know, run into a charge all the time. They rarely do that this year. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a really good game. I You know, I, I think that... You know, Rutgers, like I said, is not a, a, a great offensive team by any stretch, um, but they're much improved in two-point range. Uh, and I think, you know, it's going to be interesting. Miles Johnson versus Teske, I think, will be a really uh, good matchup, an interesting matchup. Uh, and, and I think, you know, to be honest, I, I hate to say it, but I think Simpson's, you know, if he plays, I think it's going to be a really, really tough, close game. And I think he has the ability to, to cause some problems with his speed. If he doesn't play, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I feel like Rutgers is definitely going to have the upper hand. Yeah. I think defensively, they're going to bring it for 40 minutes. And uh, I, I think Rutgers wins by, you know, I, I, don't, I think it'll be a close game the whole way, but I think they'll probably win by, say, six points. Six points? Okay. So here's where, <laughs> here's where I'm at. Um... They are, Michigan got their first road win ever at Nebraska. That was their first road win this year. Um, Michigan needs to shoot 50% to win versus a high major. That's just fact. The lowest they've ever shot in one was, I think, 47%. So it's still there right there. I think that was against Purdue. Let me check. Yep, forty. Yep, forty-seven percent. That was against Purdue, and that was double OT at home. Um, That's pretty impressive, though. Purdue's a good defensive team. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, who had a good game that game, though? And uh, it's going to depend on what Wagner does. Well, Simpson Simpson played well. He had 22 and 9 assists. Um, I will say this. The one guy who can really give you a thorn on the, on the offensive rebounding tip is probably going to be uh, Brandon Johns. Um, he has a lot of energy. A lot of energy, um, especially with the uh, offensive boards. But um, but he's little. He's really prone to get charges, though, especially when he's in the post. Um, you know, Austin Davis. He throws his body around, and you know he attacks the offensive glass. But outside of those two, I mean, there's there's not really an offensive rebounding presence. Also, their defensive transition needs a lot of needs a lot of work. Needs a lot of work. Um, but they but they have they have to shoot well uh, to win this game. They haven't shot well in a while. Hopefully, the neutral setting helps them out. Um, if you told me today, Michigan versus Rutgers, they play twice. Would you take a split? I would say yes. I would take a split. <laughs> I would take a split so fast. But I think Madison Square Garden, you have to shoot well. Uh, I. I'm with you. Like I have Rutgers by like six or seven, six or seven. Yeah, you know, you never know in that type of environment. It could be a very weird game. You know, uh, I think it's going to be really important how both teams start. Uh, that first five ten minutes really get things going. You know, Rutgers is interesting. Pykel is very interesting in his substitutions. Uh, he always, you know, usually the 15, 14 minute mark of the first half, he he almost does wholesale substitutions. He usually brings four guys off the bench. And then he, the rest of the way, he, he mixes the matches based on how the game's going. But uh, it's going to be really key for Rutgers that a second team uh, kind of uh, keeps things going if they're going well. And, and one thing that's interesting is that Geo Baker's been coming off the bench. And, and I, I, I kind of hinted at, you know, would Rutgers be better off? Uh, this was early in the season, you know, him coming off the bench. I think he's the type of guy that has the mentality to, to handle it. And, uh, right. you know, it's really been working for him. And, and Peichel's a little bit superstitious, you know. He doesn't like to change things up. <laughs> right. going well. And, uh, you know, this team just he, – he, Got a, he's got a real chip on his shoulder. If you, if you watch recent interviews, I mean, there's not an interview that goes by that he doesn't bring up that Rutgers is picked 12th in the Big Ten. And I, I think he's just really good at focusing this team one, uh, one game at a time. So, you know, I, listen, I think Michigan's really talented. And uh, as, as Michael said today, the press, he said, you know, every every game now is they're trying to do something they've never done before. They've never beat Michigan, uh, you know. And, and you guys beat us in the NIT final in 04. You beat us in the final forward 76 so uh, <laughs> it, you know it, w- it would be nice to finally get one at the garden I hear you man so two things Michigan has won three of the last 11 games versus high major teams they are also undefeated this year on a neutral floor mm. so s- something's gonna break but, but if we bring out the temperature right it's not gonna be like 80 degrees plus like it was in Atlanta so <laughs> Exactly, 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 man. Um, Aaron Brightman, you can find him on Twitter, Aaron underscore Brightman, Brightman, uh, graduated from Rutgers in 2000, managing editor of SB Nation on the banks. Aaron, thank you so much for uh, coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on again, man. It's good talking to you, and uh, good luck to you guys uh, on Saturday and uh, the rest of the season. We'll see you at the rack in a couple weeks. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon. Take care. All right. Yo, so that was Aaron Brightman. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much again for uh, uh, coming on. The Michigan-Rutgers game is going to be a huge game for both teams. Uh, Rutgers is going to go for, I believe, their 16th win and their 8th win in the conference. Uh, Michigan needs to uh, stop the bleeding here. Um, Michigan is looking for their 4th win in the conference um, and try to go try to avoid going 12-9. and So... Uh, Ruck, you know, Rutgers right now is I think they're looking at like a four or a five seed. I've seen, I've seen them right around the four, five, six seed mark. Uh, Michigan, they're starting to get up there in the nine, tens, elevens, and first four ins and outs, and you don't want to hang around there. So 
Uh, from here on out, you got to be able to find some wins. You don't, you know, being able to manufacture a win without having to shoot the lights out. And, uh, and that just, that's just going to come from pace, how you're playing, um, how the game is going, being more proactive and not, and not react be the aggressor. Um, uh, don't always be on the, you know, defense of something that the other team does. So, Aaron, thank you again for, for uh, uh, joining me here. And as you guys know, go on to SeatGeek. It's an app. If you punch in my code, AntWrite, you get $20 off of your first purchase. That's AntWrite, A-N-T-W-R-I-G-H-T. If you go on to SeatGeek, any event, concert, game, there's tons of them going on right now. Uh, use them as a gift. Do whatever. Use my promo code AntWright. It saves you $20. I'm not saying it's going to save you a lot, but you can save that $20, $20 on gas to get there, on food. You can use that $20 towards something else. But for that ticket, punch in my code, and I'll help you out with that. Um, thank you all for listening, man, and I will talk to you all soon.